Uh, let me add my welcome to you this morning. My name's Andy. I'm part of the ministry team here at New Penn. And whether you're here with us in the building this morning or you're joining us online, uh, so glad that you could be with us. As we continue our journey through the book of Joel, uh, if you haven't been with us for the past few weeks, that's where we've been sitting in as a church over the past few weeks is uh, minor prophet of the Old Testament. Not minor in terms of significant, but minor in terms of length of the book, just in case you were wondering. Um, And we've sort of gone on this journey through the people of Israel and Judah as um, it's been a sort of repentance story so far. The people were far from God and distant from God, and God had allowed a plague of locusts to come and destroy everything in their sight, which of course meant destruction of of the economy, destruction of their livelihood, and and sort of dragged them to a point of desperation to call on God. And God's response was, return to me, and I'll welcome you back with open arms. And as the people have sort of been restored in their relationship with God, he responds by pouring out his Holy Spirit on the people, which is where we sort of left things uh, last week. So the people of God are experiencing not just a a restoration, but they're actually experiencing revival. And it's this really wonderful, exciting uh, season for the people of Judah as they uh, enter into this great season um, after a time of of desolation and despair. Uh, And in chapter 3, where we're landing today, um, God's attention turns his attention to the things that the people have been subjected to at the hands of their enemies. And he seeks to administer justice upon them. And so we've got this point now where we've we've sort of, God's dealt with the sin of the people of Judah. He's restored the relationship. He's poured out his Holy Spirit. And now the attention sort of shifts and turns to what do we do about justice? What do we do about the things that have been done to you as my people? And so if you've got your Bibles on you this morning or you'd like to follow it on the screen... Uh, We're going to be reading from Joel chapter 3, verse 1 to 12, or 1 to 10 actually, and um, I'm reading from the NIV this morning. It says, In those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. There I will put them on trial for what they did to my inheritance, my people Israel. Because they scattered my people among the nations and divided up my land. They cast lots for my people. They traded boys for prostitutes and they traded girls for wine to drink. Now what have you against me, Tyre and Sidon and all you regions of Philistia? Are you repaying me for something I have done? If you are paying me back, I will swiftly and speedily return on your own heads what you have done. For you took my silver and my gold and carried off my, peop- my finest treasures to your temples. You sold the people of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks that you might send them far from their homeland. See, I am going to rouse them out of the places to which you have sold them. And I will return on your own heads what you have done. I will sell your sons and daughters to the people of Judah. And they will sell them to the Sabians, a nation far away. The Lord has spoken. Proclaim this among the nations. Prepare for war. Rouse the warriors. Let the fighting men draw near and attack. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weaklings say, I am strong. Come quickly, all you nations, from every side and assemble there. 
Bring down your warriors, Lord. Let the nations be roused. Let them advance to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all nations on every side. Slightly intense sort of text that we're sitting in this morning. Um, And in the midst of all of this sort of large hyperbolic, hyperbolic language here, there's this big idea being communicated. And this big idea is that God knows the whole span of sins committed against him, and he is coming in personal judgment. And this isn't the sort of neutral, objective judgment we expect from the legal system we have here uh, in, in Australia, in Western democracies. You know, we have this impartial judge that sort of sits and examines both sides, examines the merit on both sides of the argument, and, and kind of makes this impartial-ish judgment that's designed to be fair and equal. God's talking here about the fact that he has been personally offended by the sin that's been committed against the enemies of Israel. He's not looking at this objectively. He's looking at this like a protective mother or father would look upon something happening to their children. One of the biggest fears I had about sending our eldest off to kinder for the first time this year was that I wasn't going to be there to watch and protect her in case someone dared try to do something to her. My wife informs me that they are three-year-old children and it will be fine. But still, there's this part of you as a parent that gets personally offended when someone does something to your child. This is the kind of judgment that God is talking about here. He is personally offended, and he will administer his judgment upon the enemies of his children. And we can see that there's been some pretty appalling stuff done to the children of Israel. You know, we, uh, the, the um, neighbouring powers have scattered up Israel's people and, and sent them to the four corners of the earth. They've divided up her land and her territory amongst themselves. They've casted lots for people, and they're seeing people being tr- used as, as currency, as a commodity. We're talking about uh, the boys being traded for prostitutes and the girls being sold to wine as wine to drink. And so... There's this, this gross violation of the sanctity of human life as people are being treated as commodities. And we can sit there and, and look at that and go, man, that's, that's really rough. Like, that's terrible. There's been this gross injustice done to God's people. And it begs the question for each of us as well. How do we respond to injustice? When things are done to you and things are done to me. When we've been the victim of abuse or neglect or oppression, how do we respond to that? And this is the question that the people of of Judah are currently wrestling with as they've become the victims of abuse, they've become the victims of oppression, they've had these terrible things done to them, they're now faced with this question of how do we respond? And see, the people of of, of God have experienced revival, they've experienced restoration, but there's still this unresolved element of, like, where were you, God? I'm really glad that we've now experienced this restoration. You know, back in relationship with you, you've poured out your spirit. We're experiencing revival. This is wonderful. But where were you when we were carried off into slavery? Where were you? 
when our land was taken over? Where were you when our children were sold into slavery and treated like commodities? Where's the justice at the end of the day? Where were you when all of this calamity was unfolding before our eyes? And sometimes we cry out to God when things happen to us, when things are done to us. And we go, where were you? Why didn't you act? Why didn't you come and step in like that loving Father that's supposed to protect us and watch over us and love us? Have you ever found yourself asking that question? And so as we sit in this passage today, I'm aware that for many of us in the room there is that question, whether it's a question that's live for us at the moment or it's been a question for us in the past. Of where is God when, when things happen to me, when things happen to the people we love? And what does that actually tell us about who God is? And the great thing about this passage is it gives us these three ideas of, of who God is and what God does in the face of oppression and injustice. Well, the first thing we see in verse 2 is that God sees. God hasn't forgotten his people in the midst of the calamity. He is not blind to their suffering. In verses 2 and 3 of, of chapter 3, God lists out some of the sins that have been committed against Israel. And it's actually designed to bring a sense of comfort to his people. He's, it's almost as if he's saying, when these things were happening, I was there. I was there with you. I saw it. And often I think in the Western sort of church we can develop either subconsciously or deliberately this, this idea or this concept that the, um, the sign of God's blessing is an absence of difficulties and trials. So, you know, God has blessed me because I am having a victorious life. I, have, I, I, I am a victor, not a victim. And, you know, all the things that are in my way will move out of my way because God loves me and I am his child, which is great, until one of those things doesn't move out of your way. When something does happen that doesn't fit the narrative of blessing and prosperity, when the rubber hits the road and life happens and we find ourselves the victim of abuse, the victim of oppression, the victim of injustice, that theology falls apart really quickly. And so if our theology suggests that God is blessing us and we are blessed, being blessed because we have no trials, because we have no opposition, then we have a very faulty theology. In James chapter 1, verses 2 and 4, it says this. It says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. The blessing that we experience as God's children isn't the absence of trials. It's the presence of God in the midst of the trials. And what God does in us in refining our character refining our perspective as we go through the trials of many kinds. So God sees his people. 
He sees the things that have been happening to them. He sees the injustice. He knows. He is listening. And vindication will come from him. And maybe it is that there's been things that have been done to you that have been unjust and traumatic. Maybe, maybe a sin has been committed against you. I want to tell you today, God sees that. He's with you. And he promises peace and his presence in the midst of injustice and also in the, in the confusing and the difficult aftermath. He knows. He listens, and vindication will come from him. The second thing we learn about uh, God's character in the midst of us experiencing oppression and injustice is that God will judge. See, God tells his people that he sees what's been done to them, and now he tells them how he is going to bring about justice. In verse 7, it says, See, I am going to rouse them out of the places to which you have sold them, and I will return on your own heads what you have done. I will sell your sons and daughters to the people of Judah, and they will sell them to the Sabians, a nation far away the Lord has spoken. And when something's been done to us that's unfair or unjust, there's part of us that kind of yearns for revenge. Um, there are, I'd like to think I'm a pretty forgiving person. You know, I've done a lot of work on myself. Um, I think my, 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 you know, there have been seasons in my life where I feel like my counsellor could probably get into boating given the amount of money we've sent that way. But, you know, you do a lot of work on yourself and you learn to be, I'm a pretty forgiving person. But there are three people that I would love the opportunity to meet in the canned goods section of Woolworths on a cold winter's day. And I say the canned goods section of Woolworths because, you know, those really big tins of stuff that you can buy, you know, the recession-busting savings you can get in those big tins. And if I saw one of those three people in the section of Woolworths with the heavy tinned goods, there's part of me that would love to just practice my long-distance throwing. And they're not people that have done anything to me per se, but they've done stuff to people who I care about. And there's this part of me that goes, God, you've got a lot on your plate right now. You're dealing with an entire humanity that that needs you. You could just outsource the justice on this one to me. I'll just take it off your hands, God. It'll be fine. I don't mind. Seriously, you can interrupt me for that. And I, I... there's part of me that would love to dispense justice because part of me goes, oh, that would feel good. I would finally get that sense of closure. I could finally dispense the justice that they so deserve and it would feel really good just giving it a good go. Because then they'd know what it's like to suffer, like they've caused the people I care about to suffer. Then they would know pain like the people that they hurt. No pain. And I feel like it's one of the things that God keeps reminding me of is that ultimately, I am not the judge. God is the judge. He holds in his hand the power to administer justice. 
and it is a lot better than the justice that could be administered by me in the canned food goods section of a Woolworths. What we learn from this passage is that when God is judge, we don't have to be. There's this passage that tells us that the vengeance and vindication that we yearn to see in this life is ultimately administered by God. As eager and as desperate as we might be to see the people who have done these terrible things be brought to task, we need to develop this sense of trust that vengeance belongs to the, to the Lord. He will act in terrible judgment of the nations for the vindication of his people. He is indeed coming to judge the nations and he is coming swiftly and speedily. And so then we live in this tension. I want to see justice. I want to administer justice because it would help me feel good. But also God is judge. And he's the one that sits in judgment of all nations, including the people who have personally offended me, who have abused me, who have oppressed me and the people I care about. So if God is ultimate judge and I'm holding on to this sense of burden and responsibility to administer justice myself, there's a process of releasing people into the judgment of an almighty God. Because when God is judge, we don't need to be. And the lesson for us as his people in the midst of that is forgiveness. We are a forgiven people. Chapter 2 tells us this. It gives us this story of, of God inviting us back into relationship with him after we've done all these terrible things to him. He says, return to me, I forgive you. And in response, we're called to be a people who forgive as well. And that's great. But it's a complicated idea, isn't it? Like, How do I forgive someone who's done these terrible things to me? How does the, the nation of Judah forgive their enemies when their enemies have just done terrible thing after terrible thing after terrible thing to them? How do we forgive people in the face of grave injustices committed against us? And once uh, a mentor of mine gave me these three really helpful steps, which I still try and use to this day. Well, the first one is you release them to God. Allow him to be the judge. Release the person who's committed these things against you into the judgment of God. It's not letting them off the hook it's releasing them into the judgment of God. We let go of the weight and the burden and responsibility of administering justice because we give it to him. So you release them from the past. The second thing is you serve them in the present. How do you deal with that lingering sense of bitterness and resentment that grows in your heart? towards that person. There's an attitude and a posture of service in the present. And Scripture talks about this idea of pouring burning hot coals on someone's face when you, on your head when you work in the opposite spirit. 
Because what that does is it that doesn't necessarily change anything for the person, but it does change something in you. It's hard to hold bitterness and resentment to someone who you choose to actively serve. And so instead of anger and spite and bitterness building in your own heart, you develop a posture of service. And finally, you trust God for the future. The other person's proven themselves to be untrustworthy. It would be unwise to just lean in and trust them again just to be hurt and abused and neglected and oppressed by them again. But you can walk forward in your life not trusting them but trusting God, that he will hold you, he will carry you, he will watch over you as you navigate your way through life. And I want to say, just separate to that, that personal safety needs need to be considered here as well. And if you're currently today experiencing violence or abuse, we do not um, say you should go back into that environment and find yourself experiencing that again. If you're currently experiencing any sort of uh, physical, emotional, sexual, spiritual, financial abuse, we're not saying you should just continue to submit to that that your personal safety needs always need to be considered here. This is a sense of um, what happens in your own spiritual walk, what happens in your own uh, headspace to help navigate through feeling seasons of, of oppression and abuse. It's not saying, you know, the church has done so many terrible things in navigating people through that space. So we're saying we, we are vindicating your safety here primarily as well. But finding strength after oppression and injustice can be really hard. Sometimes it feels like it's too hard to muster the strength to stand in the face of it. But God's promise of justice and the promise that he will be judge means that the oppressed will find their strength in him. The final thing that God tells us about how do we navigate being the victims of abuse, experiencing oppression, experiencing injustice, is that he is a refuge for the oppressed. He gives strength to the weak. In verse 10, it says, Let the weakling say, I am strong. How do you bounce back? How do you step forward in life after something's happened to you like this? God's promise to his people here is that he will make them strong. He will give the people strength. He's saying, you don't stand on your own. As my people, you stand hidden in me. I will fight for you. I will administer justice on your behalf. And I will bring about restoration. And so I'm going to invite the team to come forward now as we just put the last closing comments in, but maybe today that um, you're here and uh, you're struggling to reconcile what's happened to you in the light of being someone who God loves. And I, I sense that today what God wants to say to us, to say to you, is that he goes, I know, I see you, I'm listening and I will fight for you. Maybe you're here today 
And there's someone you need to release to God today. There's a, a bitterness and an unforgiveness that you're holding on to. And as a result of that, it's robbing you of peace and joy. And it's almost like today the Spirit's prompting you to release that person into God's justice. To allow Him to be the judge so that you don't have to and take a step towards forgiveness today. Or maybe you're here today and you're tired. There's been a season of of oppression that has knocked the stuffing out of you. Today God wants to give you strength as you hide in Him. He wants to bring healing to you as He fights on your behalf. So would you join me as we pray this morning? Father, we thank you that you are a God of justice. That you see us. Nothing escapes your gaze. But in seeing us, in knowing us, in listening to us, you also stand in the gap and fight for us. Father, I pray for those here today who are struggling today to reconcile the things that have been done to them, who have happened to them, in light of you being a loving God. Father, today I pray that you would make yourself known to them, that you see, that you know, and that you will fight for them. Father, for those of us here today who are holding on to stuff that we need to release into your care, whether that's unforgiveness, whether that's bitterness, whether that's a sense of needing to administer justice. We pray by your spirit today you would give us the strength to release that thing into your care. Restore to us a sense of peace and joy where there's been unrest and bitterness festering under the surface. Help us take a step towards forgiveness today just as you've forgiven us. And Father, for those today who need strengthening from you, we pray that you would bring your strength, you would bring your healing, you would bring your restoration. That when your word says, let the weakling say, I am strong, that that would be our story and our experience today, that you would strengthen us in our innermost being allowing us to walk forward in life with strength that comes from you and being hidden in you. We love you, Father. We're thankful that you are a loving God to us, that you're a God of justice who fights for us. Help us to look to the future with confidence in you, knowing that ultimately you hold everything in the palm of your hand. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.